Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 9. We're going to finish chapter 9 today. I think, (laughs) who's cheering over here? What's going on? (laughs) The joy of expositing the scriptures is that often we we wade into its depth and there's still so much more there. Um, And so it's, it's a pleasure to be able to take our time. I know that sometimes that's painful for you, but uh, to be able to... root some of this stuff out. And of course, this is a sermon this morning that is um, very appropriate for our day and age. Of course, all the scriptures are appropriate for our day and age. You think about where Christianity is and, and the fact of the lack of commitment that people have, even though they say that they're followers of Christ. You notice today's sermon title is The Radical Commitment of Following Jesus. Past passage, like I say, is very interesting. It's very cutting. It will address our hearts in the way it should, which always the Word of God does that. But let me read the passage that is set before us for our study. Starting in verse 42 of Mark chapter 9, the Holy Word of God reads this. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he would be cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the joy it is to gather. We thank you for the songs that have been sung course, always focus on you. We come to a text, Lord, as you well know, that is to the point, that checks our hearts when it comes to following you. I pray, Lord, that you'd use your word and your spirit to be able to continue to conform us into your likeness. That you, Holy Spirit, would not let us dismiss the things of holiness here. May we grasp, Lord, what you're saying. And we know that we can walk away with the Spirit's help and understanding exactly what it says. And so we thank you for this morning and ask that you be with your servant. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is the last lesson that Mark records for us in Capernaum. We know that Jesus and his disciples are heading to Jerusalem where Jesus will die on a cross and resurrect from the grave. We also know that preceding this lesson, 
Jesus has already taught his disciples the cost to follow him. That you must deny yourselves and pick up your cross and follow him. The next lesson was on prayer and faith. And not just to pray, but to pray to the one and have faith in the one. To rely on the one who is able to do all things according to his will. Last week, we saw Jesus teaching us what it means to be the greatest in his kingdom. That in order to be great, you must be first become a servant. I pray that those sermons and that truth have been stirring in your souls as you think about the the cost and commitment to follow Christ. And then we have this morning... A lesson on the the radical commitment to follow Jesus, and it is radical. But yet Jesus calls it normal. Jesus here ramps up the call to his disciples and us as followers of Christ to the demands of following him. It's not enough just to say, I love Jesus. To be his disciple there is not only a cost, but a commitment. And by the way, Both the cost and the commitment are radical. I mean, you think about the word radical. We don't necessarily use that. Matter of fact, we shy away from that word, do we not? Especially in today's news, we we know that we have a radical uh, Islamic pressure upon the world. Religious extremists who are, can we say, wicked? And so as Christians, we we don't want to be associated with what we might be lumped in with when it comes to being radical. The word seems negative, and we desire to distance ourselves from it. To some degree, it's right to be critical of it, like I said. But... I don't think that we allow wickedness to steal a word that is designed for Christianity, for Christians and Christianity. The word radical should be completely, it should not be completely abandoned. It's a good word. And I want us to think about it when we think about what Christ is calling us here this morning. I wish we would cover the word because it it defines our commitment to Jesus Christ. Why? When you look up the word radical in a thesaurus, which gives you multiple synonyms, like-minded words, right? Of the word radical, this is what you will find. Somebody who is radical, in other words, is thorough, is complete, is extreme, is absolute, is total, is sweeping, is far-reaching, is profound, is rigorous. If you take those synonyms and even the definition of radical, what, what they mean is that when Jesus calls those who follow him disciples of Christ then, and even now, Jesus calls them to be radical in following him. Totally sold out, totally committed an absolute resolve, a strong desire. We can see it this way, what the world calls an extreme devotion. In a religious sense, Jesus defines and identifies Christianity as normal. To be radical in your devotion and obedience and following Jesus is the norm when it comes to Christianity. Jesus wants you to be fully devoted in your pursuit of him. It's not one foot in, one foot out. For that matter, Jesus says if you take your Christianity and live it in a lukewarm type of way, he says he will spit you out of his mouth. Remind you, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, it clearly says this. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot, And I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm 
and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What an indictment. What an indictment. Now, as we come to the section, this last lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples and, of course, teaching us, it's a call to radically follow Jesus. Yes, it's a commitment to be all in for Jesus. And yes, it demands a radical lifestyle that infiltrates every aspect of your life. And so in our passage this morning, Jesus lays out this radical commitment into the three areas or three realms of our living. Simply put, and even in your outline, is simply how we deal with others and how we deal with ourselves and how we deal with the world. And so let us look together at this first realm where Jesus calls us to live radically for him. And this first realm is how we deal with others. In other words, this radical consequence, and it has a consequence, and how you are living has a consequence in how you deal with other people. It's about influence. It's about faithfulness. It's how you live and how you act in front of others. If not done biblically, you will have dire consequences. This truth, of course, will cause us to look at ourselves and, and how we teach others. I mean, this is a very humbling text, especially for those as moms and dads as pastors and teachers, as elders, these things in our Christian life as Christians who teach others about the truth. Let's look at this others. It's there in verse 42. Look again there. It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with the heavy millstone hung around his neck he had been cast into the sea. If you look at the text, whoever causes one of these little ones, notice that it's one who believes. He's not necessarily talking about children, but he is talking about those who are young in the faith. Those who are maturing and desiring to mature in the faith. Those who are like sponges who desire to soak up what this Christian life is all about. He's asking those who teach them in such a way and become a stumbling block to them, you have a consequence. Jesus says, whoever caused one of these young believers to stumble. Stumble here has the idea of causing someone else to sin. It's literally putting a stone or a rock in front of their path that they don't see and they trip and they fall. This, of course, causes us to look at ourselves and how we're living and what we are teaching. And if we find ourselves, I guess this is the crux of the matter is, and we see this in Christendom today, is that we like to justify our sin, do we not? We go to great lengths of, of making sure that we can say that what we're doing is all right with Jesus. And yet what Jesus brings is an indictment for such a, such a living. That when a young believer sees the sinful thing that, that we are doing and we're calling righteousness, or maybe we're even calling it liberty, he warns us. Jesus says you're causing them to stumble, to fall. I mean, what a, what a piercing thought. None of us escape that idea. We always have a justification for what we do, and hopefully it's a justification because this is what the Bible says instead of this is what Bear says or this is what I think. Interaction, influence, 
living the way you want because you think you have the freedom to, to do such a thing. And by the way, God calls it sin. Jesus says in that day, in that day of judgment, it is better that a heavy millstone, which by the way would weigh somewhere between four to 500 pounds, it would be better for a millstone to hang around your neck and be cast into the sea and die and drown than to make someone else stumble. Think about that. The way that we live, the way that we justify our lives, according to our thoughts, if not upheld by the Scriptures, it is better for you to be cast into the sea and drown. By the way, this was a new form of punishment. The Gentiles would do this often. This was their way. You think about the Jews. The, the crucifixion was the Jewish way of, of, of making suffering happen. For the Gentiles, it was this. Put something heavy around a neck and let them die in the sea. So what is Jesus saying here? And probably what is best, even though this is the negative aspect of what's going on, it's probably best, we ended in verse 41 last week, but it's probably best to see these two together. Verse 41 and 42. 41 gives us a positive response and how to respond with others. And of course, 42 gives us the negative response. Look back again with your eyes at verse 41. It says, for whoever gives you a cup of water, something as simple as a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. It puts things in perspective. Something so small as, as showing hospitality to somebody else by giving them a cup of water, Jesus says, that is Christ-like and that I will reward. Are there greater things? Absolutely. But just the simple, and then why is that such a big deal in the kingdom of God? Is because you're thinking about not yourself, but for others. And if we can grasp anything about Christianity, it's never about you. It's about him and others. I mean, this is a good response, a good influence. The one who follows Christ, you are hospitable. You give them water. They are a brother or sister in Christ, or they're an unbeliever even. And you're encouraging them, thinking about them. Somebody had asked me one time, they said, why do so many people open up and just throw all of their problems at your feet? I said, I don't know why, but I think I know why. Because you care. When you care for others, they sense something that they have not experienced in the world or around them. When you're mindful of asking others how they are doing, when you're showing action by praying for them, you are showing great care. And the floodgates open. That's a God thing. That's Jesus doing his redeeming work within the life of a, of a believer and a sinner, but yet also showing others that there are people out there who care about him, about, care about them. Equally true about receiving a reward by doing the least and offering a cup of water and showing hospitality to others. There is a warning, a negative side to this. And so when you see verse 42, and when, it, when whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, in other words, those ones, instead of giving them a cup of water, you put a rock in front of their path, it would be better for him if he didn't even live. Radical, you better believe it. Extreme, absolutely. Jesus is saying that if you claim to be a follower of him, a Christian, your words, your actions, and your example 
carry enormous weight. So much so that if you lead a young, immature believer to stumble in what they believe, and, and really what the context of, of looking at in this, in this word stumble in lexicons, it has the idea of falling away and never coming back. And you lead them astray by your actions. It is better that you drown and die. What I love about the text here, he's not necessarily saying that those who are in Christ Jesus, here's the beauty, let me just say it this way, here's the beauty of it. For those who are in Christ Jesus, your desire is others, okay? We're not perfect in that, but what he's doing, he's weeding out the wheat and chaff. He's weeding out the the goats and the sheep. He is bringing light to true discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus And he's getting to our hearts on these things. I think what he's telling us is that it's important. Our faith, what we know, our theology, and how we live our lives are so important that it causes influence on others. Listen, everybody's watching. You understand that? We live in a a day and age where, where things are recorded often. Without ourselves being aware. This is about sanctification, your own pursuit of holiness, and understanding that it is wise to follow Christ and lies we sung to trust and obey his word over than following ourselves. This calls to light how we are thinking and what and how we are living. And Jesus is saying, if they don't match up to the scriptures, it is better for you to drown and die. Notice I didn't say that if your life matches up to the culture. Notice I didn't say that if your life matched up to the latest fad or some other book. But do they line up to what God's word has said? Our lives must match up to what the scriptures say. I mean, this is so sobering. You dive into a text like this, and by the way, I've been spending all week with this. And you just, you continually to to process what Christ is saying here. And the scriptures are a mirror to our souls. It exposes the crevices of our heart. And what comes out sometimes is not good. But it's edifying and is good for our sake to get right with the Lord. Listen, Jesus knows you're in a process. He's not asking you to live a perfect life. Somebody already did that for you, right? He knows you're in this process of sanctification. He knows that your theology will continue to grow and maybe even change a little bit. He's not so so concerned. He's more concerned about you going instead of you just staying complacent, thinking that you've got it all figured out. And what he's saying to us is that if you know what is right according to your studies and your pursuit of godliness and your pursuit of holiness, as you open up the word of God and yet do not do it, it is sin to you. I've told you throughout the years, if you've been with us this long, one of the most scathing rebukes I ever got in life was a parking ticket. And it wasn't just a parking ticket from the city. I can deal with that, right? Send them 50 bucks, the way we go. I got to do what I needed to do, and I'm gone. But this was a parking ticket, quote, unquote, at a church. I was down at Grace Community Church. I just dropped Cherie and the kids off. I was, we were late to the service. And with a crowd of about 5,000 people, it's tough to find a spot. And so what does Bear think? The wisest thing, because I was thinking that I need to get in there to hear the sermon. I needed to be fed. And so you know how they have those little kind of, at the end of a parking road, they have these little crossed out lines that tell you not to park there. It fit our van just perfectly. We go to church. It's a great day. We get in the car. And I noticed this little 
piece of paper on my windshield. I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's just a welcoming to me to the next potluck, right? It's just one of those type of things. On it was a scripture verse. It was from James chapter 4, verse 17, and it pierced my soul. It said, therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Ouch. How often do we know the right thing to do but do not do it? This is indicting. This is one of these things as we study, and this is what Jesus is getting after. You know how to follow. You know truth. You are pursuing truth. And yet if you do not do it or if you justify your sin, listen, your justification means nothing. It is still sin in the eyes of God. I think in 1 Corinthians where Paul says in chapter 10 there, says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his, and this is the point, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor or others. I mean, that's the point. There's a lot of freedoms in Christ that you have, but do we understand that sometimes it doesn't profit an immature young believer? And do we withhold ourselves from those things for the sake of our neighbor? Paul says, seek others, seek their good, even if you have to restrain from some of the liberties that you have in Christ. And what he's telling us is that we have an obligation. What is he telling us? You are your brother's keeper. You are. In the Christian life, how we live, how we pursue Christ, we, we, we show an influence in other people's lives, from the youngest of believers to the oldest. So let me ask you this question. Are you mindful of your influence? If you call yourself a believer in Christ, are you mindful of what you do? Because people are always listening. Someone is always watching. And the question that you need to ask your heart is, how serious am I with my walk with the Lord? I had another person ask me, don't you hate being in the ministry? Now, it's kind of odd to ask a pastor that, right? Of course I don't hate being in the ministry. This is a joy and delight. His comment was this, you're in a glass bowl. I said, I don't care. Because if my soul desires to honor him, I don't care who's watching. And that's got to be our desire. Whoever's watching, may, may they see our love for Christ. May they see our devotion. May they see that we're all in that we're committed to Christ. And get this, even when you sin, people are watching and how you respond with that. Are you seeking forgiveness? Are you seeking reconciliation? Do you confess and repent and get it right with the Lord? People are watching. Listen, like I said earlier, I'm not so motivated about who's watching. I'm very concerned about the one who is watching. And that's our motivation. And yet understand we have influence. And the question you need to ask your soul, are you a part-time Christian if there's such a thing? Where others see how you live on Sundays and then they see you how you live during the week and they stumble. I mean, this... Application is wide. Parents, how are you doing with your kids? Your kids are watching you. How are you doing with your influence for the things of Christ in their life? How about your work? How's your character at work? The application is wide. But the point is, are we committed to Christ knowing that it influences other. Listen, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ who follows Christ will want to examine how they are living and examine and make sure they are following and living in such a way that gives Christ the glory. Amen? 
they are concerned about how they are living because they know it affects others. If you have that sort of passion, you're on track. If you find yourself struggling, repent and regroup, knowing that this is the mark and the cause that God has called us to live. A radical commitment to Christ has a great influence on others. There's a second realm with our radical commitment to following Jesus, and it infiltrates the area of how we deal with ourselves. Now, it was hard enough to go through others. Now Jesus turns the spotlight on our own souls. And what Jesus teaches here in verses 43 to 48 is radical. It, it's a metaphor. The, these actions, this is symbolic of what he's trying to drive at with a spiritual emphasis. This is not a literal hermeneutic. He's not wa- asking you to go out and cut off your hand or pluck out your eye or cut off your foot. All these are metaphorical to get to the heart. And so what is he saying? Verse 43, look at it. It says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to to enter like crippled than having two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. Literally pluck it out, rip it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus is literally saying that heaven and hell are at stake and how radically we fight against our sin and how we pursue him in our sanctification. Listen, true, genuine believers, they fight their sin, they go after it. They kill their sin. Notice I didn't say they play with it. You see sin in your life, you cut it off. It is that radical. It's that ongoing battle that we all have. And by the way, it's not that we'll ever find total victory here, but the call is the same. Kill your sin or it will be killing you. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. He says, and look at the screen. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear, the idea of reverence, understanding the scriptures, living our lives in such a way that that adheres to what the Bible says. Trembling. So much needing Christ. And I just, if Paul was to just leave verse 12 there, we would be in much trouble. But he gives us verse 13. And he gives us the encouragement with this whole that idea of understanding as we are pursuing Christ. And yes, it is a personal desire to do that. He says, God is who is at work in you. He, he, he will make it come to pass. According to his work and according to his good pleasure in your life. Pursuing Christ. Pursuing personal holiness. When you think about the three examples, the hand, the foot, and the eye, I mean, you think about what he's telling us. It's better that you lose one of those things in light of eternity. This is a kind of a, a, an evaluation of what is best. Is it best to go to hell with both hands or with one hand go to heaven? He says it's better for you to lose something in this life, a foot, a hand, or an eye, than to lose your soul and keep those things and go to hell. Again, these are metaphors. Here, the hands and eyes, they 
and feet. They, they speak about how we go about life. Of course, hands are, are, are synonymous with what we do, our actions. What we see, of course, we understand it with our eyes. We understand what comes into our eyes. And, of course, our feet, where we go. Pulling this apart, you look at verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. If your own hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Again, this is not literal. Why? Because you have another hand. And then when you lose both of those hands, guess what happens? You're still going to sin. Just a side note, we took the church to a, a mission uh, reservation. It was an Indian reservation some many years ago, and we were assisting a ministry that was um, reaching out to the children of, of the families there and had an opportunity to do kind of a work mission. And I remember driving around town there, and I always saw this guy kind of just working his way around town. He was in a wheelchair. He had a patch over his eye. He seemed to be have only one hand because he was he was willing the other good hand with his wheelchair. I asked the person with whom we were riding with, I said, What's what's his story? And as you can guess where I'm going with this, he literally took this passage to heart. And he plucked out his eye. And he put his hand on the train track. And when it was severed, he put his foot on the train track and living his life as a cripple, thinking that he's done that which is going to gain him eternal life. The problem is he still has to deal with his heart. Sad that he would be in a situation without a hand and a foot and eye, not knowing that his sin and his heart is the issue. Why? Because out of the heart does a man sin. Now, Jesus is using all this as an illustration, speaking about your actions, speaking about the things you do and where you go and what you watch. And if those things make you stumble, it's better that you lose a part of your body for the sake of righteousness is the lesson. He's saying if those things, whatever they are that make you stumble, in verse 41 or 42, it was others who you made stumble, now it's you, yourself. If the things that you're doing make you fail to pursue holiness, it's better that you get rid of that stuff than be on a path headed for destruction. This is about living radically for, for Christ with a Christ-like focus and direction, with purpose and pursuing him with his truth, knowing that your own sanctification is at stake. We understand those words, right? Justification, I'm justified in Christ Jesus. He saves me at the point of redemption. Sanctification is that process that as we're living life, we are continuing to put off and put on, and we're desiring to live for Christ only for glorification to happen when Jesus Christ calls his church home. But here we are in the midst of being called disciples of Christ. We are called to, to walk in such a way where we are pursuing holiness, And I think it needs to be heard today. Stop playing with your sin and kill it. I think in today's Christianity, we, we, we kind of like to have our pet sin around us where we can dabble, where we can pet it, we can encourage it at times. You will find yourself defeated. You will find yourself not growing in Christ. Literally kill your sin. I love the great preacher 
the Puritan preacher, Jonathan Owens. And by the way, if you don't have this book, you need it. He writes, and there's an excerpt by Banner Books that, that puts out this book called The Mortification of Sin. By the way, how many of you have read that? Please encourage me by your hand. Okay. I got lots of copies on my desk, right? I want you guys to have it. If you don't have one, you come and see me. In his little book, he, he talks about this dilemma of the Christian life and, and, and how to slay our sins. And he says this, the mortification, the killing of, and when we think about mortification, it's the idea of killing something. The mortification of indwelling sin remaining in our mortal bodies that it may not have life and power to bring forth the works or deeds of the flesh is the constant duty of believers. Did you see what he's saying there? The fact that if we don't kill our sin, it will manifest itself in our life. If we dismiss our sin, it will continue to rise and grow. It's like the old idea that if you keep on eating junk, you'll get fat, right? He goes on to say this. Do you mortify? Do you kill your sin? Do you make it your daily work? He says, be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Great quote. Great reminder. Is there sin in our life that we've kept around too long? It's time to kill it. It's time to get rid of it. Scripture has the principle of putting off in Ephesians and Colossians. Putting off literally has the idea of killing it too, where Jonathan Owen gets this. In its place, and this is usually the place where a lot of people, we understand that it's sin and I need to get rid of it, but the problem is, is the Scripture goes on to say, put on righteousness. Fill the vacuum with righteousness. And so whatever sin it is, you are going to look at whatever God calls to be righteous and holy. If it's anger is the issue, I'm going to, I'm going to remove that and put in patience and kindness. If it's selfishness, I'm going to remove it and kill it and put on others' thinking and serving. Fill the void with righteousness. What sin needs to be killed so that Christ can reign in your life, beloved? What are you doing that your hand needs to be cut off, spiritually speaking, so that it doesn't cause you to stumble. Hard hitting. Radical demands. Self sanctification. Pursuing Christ. By the way, you'll notice verse 44, just a little footnote. You'll notice that in your Bibles that you'll see brackets there. In verse 44 and 46, those brackets are telling us that the earliest and the best manuscripts where we get our scriptures from, those two verses are not in those early manuscripts. And so the question you got to ask yourself, why are they there? Well, part of that is because it's when the word of God was, was being transcribed for us, scribes would, somewhere in the midst of this, would add this. Now, let me encourage you about something. Both of those, what those two verses say, it's said in verse 48. And so those, that concept of where the worm does not die, which is a quote from Isaiah, and the fire is not quenched, is found in verse 48 where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. They just have added, duplicated these verses. And the joy of the scribe, if you know anything about textual criticism, which, by the way, when we get to the end of Mark chapter 6, you're going to get a whole lesson on, on textual criticism. Mark, what did I say Mark 6? Mark 16, okay? But the joy of the scribes is that they so wanted to make sure that they kept the Word of God the way the Word of God says, that though they didn't know if those were added or not, they continued to transcribe them. And so thus you have them. 
Now, Jesus goes from what you do with your hands in verse 44, excuse me, 43, to what you go or what you do with your, your feet in verse 45. He says there, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. The foot, of course, gets us to places. It allows us to, to go places. And by the way, if you go to places that tempt you to sin, he's telling you, don't go. What are we doing and that application can be wide, too. I remember counseling a young man. And he was saying, Pastor, I got a problem. I mean, I'm doing great things for the Lord. I'm sharing the gospel. The problem is, is that it's at the bar. I said, okay. I said, you know, I go in there, desire to share the gospel with people, but then I order a drink and another another. And I looked at him. I said, listen, the simple solution is don't go to the bar. He goes, but there's souls there. I said, I get it. Why don't you park outside the bar and wait for them to come out? For that matter, why don't you give them a ride and talk to them about the gospel? Why do we go places where we know that we're going to fall? Verse 47, the eye. In other words, what we view. And this one is so deep. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The eye. Of course, we know that the eye is the window of the soul. We are in such a, a social media type of, of world where we are visual in a lot of things. We are constantly looking at our phones, watching our, our televisions, going to movies, reading books. And Jesus says, Christian, are you guarding your eyes? Our eyes need such attention and protection as to what we watch and what we view that if we don't buffet it, towards the things of godliness, Jesus says that it also has eternal consequences. I mean, the world knows that they can get us because we live in such a, a, a multimedia world. Are we protecting ourselves? Are we thinking twice about what movies we go watch? Are we looking into what they are about? Are we concerned about the television shows that we think are great, but yet we'd be ashamed if Jesus was sitting there with us? All this sounds like legalism. Listen, it's about the heart. Are you so much sold out for Christ that you really don't care what the world is doing? You're more concerned about what Christ has called you to do. these metaphors. Again, he ends each of them with an eternal consequences, i.e. going to, into hell. Jesus is simply saying that the importance of fighting our sin has a dire consequence, that if we don't kill it, hell is your destination. In other words, how often do you think about hell? We think a lot about heaven. We love heaven, do we not? But how often do we think a minute about hell. I know this, that the more you think about the hell, the more that we would run to the streets and call people to Christ. He's not talking about a work salvation here. He's simply pointing out your heart condition and how you go about it. Separating the sheep from the goats, knowing that those who are truly in Christ are going to understand the truth and desire to pursue Christ. And if you truly love Jesus and are his disciples, you will be concerned with what he is concerned about. You will follow what, what he has said and called us to follow. 
And when you sin in those areas, you are quick to get it right with the Lord. And if you sin against others with others, what are we doing? What are we, where are we going? What are we watching? And are we fighting back sin in our own souls? In essence, are you serious? You call yourself a Christian, are you serious? Are you all out in your devotion to be like Christ and to follow Christ? Peter has much to say about this. Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Taking Jesus' teaching there, right? When we pursue our own lusts, our own desire, it fights against what you've been called and been transformed to be. How radical are you fighting and killing sin in your life? Knowing that eradication of the head doesn't allow the sin to come back. That's why we kill it. I've often had people ask me, Pastor, I continue to do the reoccurring sin. What's the problem? Listen, you're not killing the sin. Literally chopping off its head. I gave you the illustration not too long ago about the, when I say not too long ago, that means years ago. <clears throat> about my wife, who does it not, she does not like snakes, right, bud? You do not like snakes. Matter of fact, I had to coerce her to help me with a fence in the backyard one time, and I saw a snake, but I wasn't going to tell her because she would not help me. But there was a snake on the road, and we were driving down the road, and she looks at me, and she sees the snake, and I see the snake. It's not moving. But in her eyes, it was fully alive with fangs ready to pounce. And she told me, make sure you run over that snake, which I obliged. And I don't know if you caught the back of your, this is kind of where we kind of our stories get a little bit crossed, but I remember you saying, hey, honey, stop and back up and run over the snake again to which I oblige to do. How often do we use that illustration of killing a snake and making sure it's dead? Do we take that pursuit into our lives and kill our own sin? How often are we backing up the car of sanctification and making sure that sin is dead? There's a third and final realm that Jesus addresses in our radical commitment to follow him. First, how we live, how we teach others has consequences. Second, how we live ourselves on protecting our own faith and walking in sanctification. Third, our interaction with the world. And we'll go quick here. It's only two verses. 49, for everyone will be Salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with that, what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I must tell you that there's a lot of different scholars who have different opinions on what this is going and what this is saying. I think it's, in, in, in looking at this, it's best to look at this and see these symbols of of salt and fire as trials. We see that often in scriptures. And what Jesus is talking about here is about the cost of discipleship and showing us how to engage the world. That we know that the world will bring something to us and we are to bring something to it. He says in verse 49, everyone will be salted with fire. In other words, trials, persecution will come your way. 
The world offers that to us, to which we embrace. I have no problem with being persecuted for Christ. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, ah, there's the point of trials, persecution, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Jesus is doing in our lives is to refine us when trials come our way, where persecutions come our way. Why? Because he knows that through such trials and persecutions, our faith grows. We rely on him more. First Peter 4, verse 12 says, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, again, fire ordeal among you, trials, which comes upon you for the testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Don't be shocked. Trials are coming if they're not already here. As Christians, we should expect these trials, these persecutions to be part of our lives, knowing that God is, again, refining us to see him more beautifully, to allow our faith to grow. The world will bring you trials and persecution, and what Jesus says, embrace them, knowing that God is going to use those trials, even if they are evil. For his good. I don't know about you. If you've ever been in trial, you know that you have learned more about your Christ, have you not? I've learned more about my faith in Christ in the trials that I have than just studying them at seminary. And then like salt that makes something taste good, Jesus says, be a good influence. Be a godly influence in the world. And so you're going to, not only does the world heap upon you, verse 49, trials and persecution, know that your response to that is, verse 50, salt is good, be a good influence. But if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. And then he says this, and be at peace with with one another. The world's going to hate you. Embrace that, knowing that God is going to preserve you. He saved your soul, right? He's going to preserve you. Your response to it is be a good influence. Continue to honor Christ. Continue to stand in the gap. Continue to have courage. And be at peace with one another. I think that's difficult sometimes. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says, if possible, so as far as it depends on you, your response to this, be at peace with all men. So what's our takeaway? Simply this. Our takeaway, let me just ask you some questions. I think maybe that's the best way to end it. What are you choosing in this life that is short-term and temporal that is causing you to sacrifice long-term eternal glory? Are you radical in your commitment to Christ? Are you all in? That's what Jesus is asking. Is Jesus just a part of your life? Or is he the point of your life? And for even for some, to even get engaged into this kingdom life, you need to commit yourself to Christ. That's where it starts for you. But for those who are walking, those who are committed, how serious are in our pursuit to live a Christ-like life in front of others, in front of ourselves, and in front of the world.
pretty radical passage. Hits our heart to the core, which it should. But to God be the glory, amen. Father, again, thank you for the morning. Thank you for allowing our heart to be sifted. We thank you for the word of God and how it pierces us. How it takes and conforms what we should do and throws out what we think is right and good. Father, we do want to be salt and light. We do want to be devoted to you. May you ever press that upon our souls. Who wants to play the game? We want to be in the game. And the call is to be radical. The call is to to be committed. The call is to be devoted. And what we do, where we go, and what we see. We love you. We give you all the praise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.